Kiorana Koleria Lewis Deya. This is Pacific Waves. Akarongomai. Coming up. In recent years, there have been numerous reports of brawls, robberies, and attacks. Fiji is set to decide whether or not nightclubs will shut earlier. And. You learn the ropes, you swim, or you drown. We speak with a veteran politician in Niue who is not afraid to test the waters and may even put her hand up for Premier. Then later on... They're a resilient bunch. Ni Vanuatu communities are still picking up the pieces after they were slammed by two cyclones in February. We hear the latest from a group from Aotearoa who went over to help. The Fiji government is looking at earlier closing times for nightclubs and bars following the death of a 28-year-old man outside a popular silver nightclub. Alapate Tuivanga was assaulted on March 26th. The incident has sparked debate around the social impacts of nightclubs in Fiji too. As Final Fonua reports, public consultations are now underway. Twenty-eight-year-old Alipate Tuivanga had only been married for two months before losing his life outside a popular Suva nightclub. He was beaten up and left unconscious by two men who have since been charged with murder, leaving a hole in the heart of a family. The government says early morning violence in the form of drunken street fights and robberies are reportedly on the rise, and nightclubs are being blamed. On April 11th, Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka announced his cabinet had approved a review into enforcing earlier closing times. In recent years, there have been numerous reports of brawls, robberies and attacks in the areas around nightclubs in designated zones. This has also resulted recently in some loss of lives. The Fiji Police Force made submissions for review of the opening hours for nightclubs given ongoing law-breaking. Violence and robberies are cause for concern and pose a risk to the safety of citizens. But many nightclub owners blame a low police presence for brawls and drunken disorder. Ron Sami, owner of popular Nandi nightclub The White House, says nightclubs are not the cause of the problem. In fact, Sami says enforcing earlier closing times would only make matters worse. He says police visibility has decreased over the last two years. Compared to before and now, there is very less police presence on the street. Like, you know, um, two couple of years down the lane, we had like a, like a major police presence on the road, like a kind of clearing of drunkards. But uh, at the moment, we don't. There's a lot of loiterers around on the street and everything. This is totally not related to the nightclub operating hours. This is a strictly like a police action, you know, where they are supposed to be actively involved in clearing the street off. It's a sentiment shared by Tavi Avkash, one of the co-owners of the Hive Club in Nandi. I don't think it'll make any difference to the violence that's already occurring. Uh, in fact, I think it'll go a bit higher. There's more people will be drinking at different locations. It'll be harder to control them. Uh, the police officers won't be able to 
keep everything in order. But according to local media reports, so far public feedback appears to be in favor of a review. Fiji's Attorney General Siromi Turanga, who has led consultations, told media the public perception of nightclubs are generally negative, especially from Itaokei or native Fijians. 75% of the Itaokei live below the poverty line. The money that's supposed to be used for family church purposes are used elsewhere, namely nightclubs. Those are issues that concerns the government and uh, overwhelmingly the support that club should close at one. Hisham Emnium, project consultant for Victoria Wines, which owns Suva nightclub The Dog Father, says that Suva's nightclub district is small enough for police to patrol. He says shorter operating hours would be a slap in the face and impact business significantly. 37% of our uh, revenue comes from 1 a.m., up to five. And uh, definitely we are against this. What I think is that this is a police matter and the, and the, the clubs in Suva, mainly it's a very small uh, district. Our suggestion is that to strengthen, strengthen the police from 1 a.m. to 5 and it's only three roads, three small districts that police can look after. Ron Sami says it would have a huge impact on tourism. Sami says a lot of tourists are already visiting holiday destinations with relaxed drinking laws, such as the Cook Islands and Bali. If uh, Fiji starts closing at 1 o'clock, it will be seen as uh, we are stuck in the dark ages with these old laws. Eh? And I reckon uh, tourists are going to Bali and South America more, we'll see a significant decline of tourists coming to Fiji. Fiji's Attorney General Siromi Turanga, however, says the majority of nightclub goers are Itaokei. He says Fiji's nightclub industry was meant to primarily cater for tourists and not the Itaokei population. It was designed that people, namely tourists, will come and spend their money. No, going to places and of course nightclubs. But what uh, has been found or revealed that it is the Itauke population who are, who are out there on the streets at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. Public consultations closed this week. Olav Orveve Jacobson has been winning elections in Nui for the past 35 years, apart from a spell when she was the country's High Commissioner to New Zealand. She came fifth of the six successful candidates on the common roll at the weekend in an election that brings a lot of new MPs, including six women, into Parliament. Mrs Jacobson spoke with Don Wiseman about her intentions in the new Parliament, which she says will be refreshed with the young people coming through. I acknowledged that when I was going around in my campaign and realized we've got these young people coming through, which is good because, as you know, New Air doesn't have party politics whereby you can groom people to come through. We're basically 20 independent people that are in Parliament. So you're basically, you, you learn the ropes, You swim or you drown. And so I've managed to stay above water and have lasted this long. And I think I'm doing something right 
But at the same time, the younger people coming through uh, also uh, thinking, well, maybe it's time for some of these veteran politicians to bow out and let them have a go. That's fine. But I think Parliament has got to have a good mix. What sort of shape are you expecting the new government to take? I know as opposition leader, you said in the, the last uh, sitting before the election... that it's appropriate for Dalton Tangalangi to carry on. Is that what you think is going to happen? Given that he's had a, a bad start to his first term in leadership... You mean because of the pandemic? Yes, because of the pandemic and a whole string of other stuff, it's only fair that... If you really wanted to suss out the true colours of the person and the calibre of what you've got in front of you, uh, I'm quite happy to give him another chance. If he were to stand again unchallenged and no one challenges the leadership role, I'm going to put my name down because I think it's important that democracy is seen to be observed at all levels in politics. It also puts a stamp of approval on who your leader is going to be. I also think that it's good now to test the waters in terms of the presence of our women that are in the House. There's six women members now. I just wanted to see where they sit with all this thing about gender equality and how they envisage that kind of thing with a woman in leadership. But it's fair to say that we herald from a country that is predominantly male-orientated and that we still run on the traditional thing. That's the man's role. Leadership is always a man's role and that women are secondary to that. So you want to test, see whether that still applies. Well, it'll be interesting because you've got some new men also that have come in and and see where they sit. I mean, obviously, we're, we're not going to feature, we don't have the numbers, but in the case that we do, and uh, we have the men who are supportive of that kind of thing, I don't think there's a question in terms of whether women in leadership, and I'm talking about my leadership, I've never questioned my own integrity and ability to be able to take on leadership. And I think I've still got another uh, opportunity that I can take this on. But it's not as if I'm inadequate to play that role. And I think it puts a lot of people into the place of where they actually stand in terms of women in parliaments. On the subject of democracy you mentioned earlier and the importance of seeing it, well, there are some oddities in this election, aren't there? The large number of people in the village seats who were elected unopposed. We're starting to see an increase of that. We've had some small villages for many, many years come through like that. And and because it kind of sets that precedence, it gives way to other villagers to do the same thing. What do you think is the solution? Should there just be a common role and nothing else? No, I still think it's, it's good because the purpose of having the constituent seat is to give status and importance to a village. 
if you put them all on common roll, you could have the whole lot of people just coming out of the one village that predominantly has a very high population. And if it's a population of affluence and those kind of things influences the way people vote, uh, and so I don't think it would truly reflect what people wanted to see is the importance of your identity as a new way in having come from a particular village. If you have 14 village seats and six of them this time round uh, don't have any contest, uh, what's going to happen next time? Nine? Twelve? Well, I think we do need to change that archaic law of 1966, that where you have no one to challenge, that person, nominated by two people, will get in by default. Basically, you are then called a duly elect. That's what it says in the law. So it's that law that enables those six villages not to vote because no one had contested it. But for me, the solution is very clear. The Constitution of 1974 gives us the way to do it. They said, yes, 14 seats and six common roll seats. You go to the polls, you do it by secret ballot under universal suffrage. And so people have the right to do that. But if there's only one person who had put in their nomination, and you've got to remember, this is basically just a request. This is not the village meeting to say, oh, um, would you agree that I should be the only one standing? No, the villagers did not do that. So this is just one person expressing an interest. But because nobody else had challenged it, that person gets in effectively by default. But I thought the Constitution would override that archaic law of 1966 because it's already provided for in the Constitution where it says that the member shall be elected by the electors of that constituency. So even if it's one person, the whole village will still go to the polls and they will cast their vote. The ones that don't uh, wish to have him represent them, they don't need to go and vote in the constituency polls. They will just vote in the common role polls. I mean, the answer is already provided for in the Constitution, and I thought the Constitution superseded all other laws on Niwe. Those six people, how do they legitimize their position? And what status do they have to speak? And I don't want to get to the stage in the House whereby, you know, we can get a little bit awful with ourselves and say, well, I don't know why you should be talking because you really don't have a voice. A team from the Pacifica Medical Association, or PACMAT, has arrived home after four weeks in Vanuatu supporting the mental health of new Vanuatu people after back-to-back severe cyclones made landfall about two months ago. After four weeks and two separate teams, PACMAT has returned to New Zealand. The group has been working alongside Port Vila Hospital's mental health facility, which is led by the country's only psychiatrist. PACMAT team lead Craig Sione Tuato spoke with Caleb Fotheringham when he finished his time in the country. It's been an amazing time here, such a big privilege. 
just to come here and serve like we said earlier with our brothers and sisters here in Vanuatu. So it's been amazing. We've done some cool things here in Port Vila, but also out in uh, the Tafia province in Fortuna and Naniwa. So it's uh, it's been a really cool opportunity just to do what we do back home, but just around the communities here in Vanuatu. So it's really, really cool experience. What type of work have you been doing? So a lot of the work that we've been doing has been standing up integrated care clinics. So what that looks like is we've been providing primary care support and also mental health, psychosocial support around some of the communities here in in Ifate, but we've also been providing some surge support workforce to Vila Central Hospital, mostly with the psychiatric ward and the outpatient clinics there. So that's kind of the work that we've been doing. We've been doing a lot of outreach as well, uh, working alongside the local mind care team, uh, just seeing some of the more acute patients that are around uh, Ifate, around the island. Nice. And it sounds like a lot of the work that your team's been doing has been around that mental health space. How's it been following the two cyclones? Yeah, look, I think here in Vanuatu with the people, they're a resilient bunch. Uh, like we said, it, they're not strangers to tropical cyclones, um, but they're not also used to having two cyclones happening in the space of a day. But regardless, they are quite resilient. A lot of the work that we were doing uh, was around you know, understanding their feelings and then having coping strategies uh, where they, sometimes they will feel anxious and have you know, PTSD about the event and just around um, healthy and unhealthy responses to that. So a lot of that kind of work in the communities, which has been really helpful, working with a lot of kids actually, with schools, also got a chance to work with kids at our Easter camp. So a lot of fun activities mixed in with some mental health principles, which has been um, awesome. That is awesome. How have the kids taken it? They've taken it really well. I think a lot of our focus has been around how to understand your feelings and around you know being sad and, and being happy and what are you going to do um, with that and how are you going to cope with it and so we try to integrate that in with some cool little dances activities and so the children have been quite receptive to it you know if you put it into a game they pretty much take on the message so it's been good working with the kids here and how how are the team feeling We've had two teams, so we've had two rotations. We've had a Team Alpha and a Team Bravo, so both of them did two weeks. It's just been two or three of us that have been here the whole time, but I think part of PacMat's work is that they've got a good cohort of people there that understand what the work looks like and what it takes for it, and so they're all professionals about it, but um, we do a lot of uh, self-care and checking in with the team. So they're feeling pretty good, but I think they're pretty excited to head back to some cold weather. (laughs) Thank you very much to all our guests. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs, or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, kia manuia.